Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. It's as you were in the 2021 Six Nations, with France and Wales remaining the only undefeated sides in the competition after a week of controversy on and off the pitch. Wales made it three from three with a bonus point win over England in Cardiff and in doing so picked up a triple crown. After a disastrous first year in charge, it now looks like Wayne Pivak could be heading into the final game of the tournament against France with a grand slam on the line. Well, uh, the name on everyone's lips after the Wales-England match was Pascal Gauzer. The referee awarded two controversial tries to Wales' Josh Adams and then Liam Williams. Both Eddie Jones and Captain Owen Farrell refused to be drawn on whether the decisions were correct ones. But we'll be getting the expert take of someone who should know, the former international referee Nigel Owens. France remained undefeated, but they missed a chance to strengthen their grip on the Six Nations Trophy after their match with Scotland was called off three days before it was due to take place. After 11 members of the French squad, including the head coach Fabian Galtier, tested positive for COVID-19 after leaving the bubble in Rome, shall we say, to go out for waffles. Not even crepes, waffles. Can you believe it? Um, it remains unclear when the fixture is going to be played with Scotland. And some people are suggesting Gregor Townsend's side should be awarded a 28-0 win. We'll be picking the bones out of that. Got plenty to say about that. Elsewhere, Ireland picked up their first win in the tournament against Italy. It's the 30th consecutive defeat for the Italians in the Six Nations and the debate over their continued inclusion in the competition, well, it continues. And as ever, we'll be answering your questions, including plenty on the England following their defeat, the role of the water carriers, the reaction online to some of the weekend's post-match interviews and all things that uh, you want to know about. Alongside me today to discuss this is the former England and London Irish wing, Topsy Ojo. Hello, Topsy. Hey, Mara, how are you doing? Uh, Wales 40, England 24. Having got themselves back to 24 all and looking like the momentum was going their way, it all unravelled. Well, we'll get into referees shortly. What about the game overall? Were Wales deserved winners? In the end, yes. I, I think they, they thoroughly deserve to win. I mean, you know, we can talk about the controversy and decisions and things that happened, of course, but like you just alluded to, ultimately, it got to 24-24. England had put themselves in a position with momentum as well to go on and win the game. And then, you know, when the pressure moments come in, that back quarter of the game, they were really found wanting. You know, Wales almost really calmed and composed themselves, forced England to commit a couple of silly penalties, some forced, some unforced as well. And ultimately, they ended up winning comfortably in the end. And you think, right, okay. England actually played some really, really good stuff, but when it came down to the crunch, their ill-discipline, especially in that back quarter, really cost them. I'll tell you what, what is frustrating from an England point of view is their line speed defensively was very good. Their ruck speed in attack was as quick as you could ask on many occasions. You couldn't get much quicker. The ball carrying was varied and good. They were getting over the end. Ben Young was making breaks. 
But it was all undone. And I don't care how good a player you are. And we all know Mauro Itoji is an exceptional player. And he may say, well, I was unlucky on several. You, you can't carry on being unlucky. You know, the thing about players like McCaw, when he, did, when he had two, he stopped. He didn't get caught four, five, six times a game. And if you're going to play on the edge, you've got to know when to draw back from it. Um, you give three penalties away in succession in the first six minutes. That gives them a three-point lead. Then you give three away when the reserves or the finishes or whatever you call them come on. It gives them a nine-point lead when you got back. I don't care what side you are. You're in, in games that are tight, you, how do you expect to win if you're doing that? Yeah, I mean, you are right. You know, at some point, you know, you, you chance your arm earlier in the game, but once you get a feeling that the referee is against you, you're not getting these calls, there almost has to be a period where you just back away and you say, right, OK, I can't be the guy playing on that edge as much as I normally do. We know that's one of Marrow's strengths and that's where he shines. But in this game, he was on the wrong side of the referee. Well, I mean, both, both, him, both him and Eddie are saying, you know, maybe I'm you know, getting over-refereed. Well, I'm sorry, if you create this situation, you've got to get yourself out of it because yeah. there's no, no, no one else can do it for you. Yeah, and that's it. You know, you might say, oh, he's being over-refereed, but ultimately, you know, we're speaking about the referees a lot. They are the ones making the decisions in the heat of the moment. And if you don't have that relationship there, you've got to change your habits there and then in order to swing things in your favour. So it's a case of, right, if Mara has to back off, if somebody else has to be the guy that's going on the edge and just doing it, just so that you change the perception briefly because, you know, he gives away three, then it ends up being five. And you think, actually, okay, in a different game, different referee, none of them might have been penalties. But in that game, they were five out of, I think it was 14 in total, yep. which proved costly. Well, I mean, this is, this is the point for me. And I wrote about this in my column. I'm saying... It was an improved performance and so on. But when Eddie Jones came back from the World Cup, he made a point of saying, you know, there will be changes to the squad and so on. There haven't been that many changes. The only, the only ones that are, that, that are not there are the people who are injured, like, you know, like uh, Thokina Senior maybe and uh, Manu and so on. The rest is virtually the same. And I was just posing the question, if he considers that squad or virtually that squad with the people to come back in, are the players to take you into the next one, then fine, you get on with it and you'll be proved right or wrong. But if not, it, it, just, seems, it, just, uh, it just seems a variety aspect for, the, for, for no other reason than uh, the competition for places should be there. And I, I, uh, I'm in two minds at the moment. I mean, he, he, he's not going to go because he's got a contract 2023 and he's right that he gets the World Cup things. But... Uh, what do you think is the thinking about the lack of variety in selection? Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely hampered himself in terms of, and maybe it's the thing, we look at all the other nations, the one that have had the least change is England in terms of management, in terms of personnel. And then if you look at the constraint of this squad being only 28, he actually he's not allowed himself to really look at the wider depth, and we know how much depth there is outside of this 28-man squad. Um, he also has a lot of history where players are tearing it down in the Premiership and for whatever reason, 
refusing to pick them or delaying picking them. You know, it took so long for Jack Willis to finally come through. We were screaming, he should be in, he should be in. He finally got in, of course, unfortunately now injured. And the same is being said of the likes of Don Brandt, both Simmons brothers, etc. Harry Randall, maybe should we had seen him earlier before he got injured. Um, so I, I think at some point in not this tournament, of course, in the next year, there needs to be an injection of something fresh reinvigorate the squad to push competition as well. Like you say, you know, we've had these players, guys that come to my head now, Oli Thorley was flying last season, came into the squad. Of course, Watson and May are outstanding, but just give him more opportunities to create more competition. At the moment, he doesn't have that. You know, we've talked about droppables and undroppables. At the moment, there's no chance of much change because he has only 28 players to work with. Once we start looking outside that pool, then things will open up a bit more. And maybe even this summer with the Lions, we'll force him to test his hand, really expose some new players, and maybe come next autumn, next Six Nations, we'll now start to see a different evolution. Well, one thing he can, he could do, because he can't do it in terms of personnel, he could swap people around positionally. Like, try and see whether it is a fact that Watson will be better as a fullback. Although Daly had a, a much better game, um, uh, you know, and with, with Daly on the wing or outside centre, with Slade moving to inside centre and so on. That's something he could do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got combinations he can work with. You know, I mean, even uh, like they played much better. I would love to see Watson at 15. I'd love to see Udogu come in and being given a shot. You know, I mean, he was the Premiership's form player and he's now come into England camp and he's not played a minute on the pitch. So he's going to end up going back to his club and he won't have played rugs. And you think this guy was electric, you've put him in the squad and you've not even given him an opportunity. Of course, you need to expose him to see. But if we're going to bring these guys in, then let's play them and let's test out combinations as well. Ollie Lawrence, like the Scotland game was a nightmare for him, but he wasn't used. England almost have nothing to lose. We need to win the next two games, but there is an opportunity to just try a few new different things with a view to solving problems later on. Well, as they've picked up a triple crown, they'll beat Italy, obviously. Then they'll be in the final weekend contesting a Grand Slam. If the French, uh, well, who knows where the French squad might be at that point? Uh, they might have been out for um, they might, might be out for gammon. Who knows? Uh, look, um, look, they've had two games where they've been down against fourteen men. They had two controversial and, and I say wrong tries. And I'm, you know, I mean, the fact is that Georges Ute, who is in charge of the world rugby referees. And Pascal Gauzet now have all said it was a mistake. Um, uh, you know, I'm, let, let, uh, make it plain. I don't think England lost because of that, but it didn't, make, it didn't help. Um, how much uh, is it difficult to judge, you know, how, how Wales have done under Pivak, or, or can you give him more credit than that? I think you can definitely give him credit just based on well, I watched them a lot in the autumn, and, you know, there were calls for Pivak to go, saying that, you know, after Gatland. He's not taking the team in the right direction. He needs to go back and do what that Wales squad were used to. But we've seen a different side to them now. Now, of course, they have ridden their luck in terms of the red cards and the decisions, you know, proved that wrong. So that's a 14-point head start that they got at the weekend. But you've still got to tactically win the games after those incidents. You've got to hold out. You've got to defend. You've got to show them resilience. And from being down and out and discounted, really, coming into this tournament, Wales, they've really found themselves. And I think through that adversity, through those difficult patches now, they're getting more of their recognised players back in. There's more confidence, more belief. 
from the autumn as well. They've earned some talent, you know, Reese Zamet and Sheedy in particular, who was brilliant when he came on. So you have to give credit to Pivac for getting the ship now steering in the direction he wants. But then, of course, the players as well. You know, they've now almost come on board, which was a lot of the chat in the autumn saying maybe they just need to adjust to his style of play. And they're, they're scoring some really good tries and playing some really good rugby. So, you know, rugby, the bounce of the ball and all that, things happen. They've ridden their luck, but they've also taken their opportunities and put themselves in a grand slam position. Yeah, I think I just sum it up by this. You have to stay in games, you know, when you're under pressure. They went off to lead. You know, when England clawed the way back to 24 all, it would have been quite understandable. And you, you know this as well. You know, when momentum is against you, very difficult, actually. And you're feeling things are not going your way this time. But they know they stopped. They rested that decline. They then got the three penalties, which England gave them the kicking positions. And then they went and scored a try and finished off with a flurry. So you've got to give them the, the, you know, the, the credit for being able to do that. And also, although by most accounts, you know, they shouldn't have been allowed to take the first quick uh, penalty, they did kick it. They did take it. They were, they were smart. And the kick was precise. You know, you, lots of things could have gone wrong. It wasn't a certainty just because uh, he said time on that they were going to score that. They had to do everything right. So, yes, you do have to, uh, you do have to give them credit for that. Well, let's talk to a uh, regular contributor and always entertaining uh, Nigel Owens, former international referee. Who doesn't know what Nigel is? Look, Nigel, we'll get into the two tries that were controversial individually. Uh, but let's take the, 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 the first one. Um, quick thinking by Dan Bigger, but Pascal goes there, clearly tells Owen Farrell to speak to his team, um, but he then clearly says, time back on. Do you want to talk us through your view on this? Yeah, very clever by, by Bigger, as you said, and uh, he did the same thing two years ago, same fixture, same referee, and yes. Cardiff as well, with Anthony Watson when he was yellow carded, and then they, they sort of gave a, a directive out after that then that uh, you you must wait for a player to be replaced by the Sinbin player and stop the clock so it wouldn't happen again. Now, is it, <clears throat> what happened this time is you can clearly hear um, uh, Pascal speaking to Owen Farrell about the penalty count and quite rightly so as well because it is mounting to go and speak to his players. So he puts the time off. So there is an expectation now on the captain to speak to the players. So the players are in the huddle. He speaks to them. You then have to wait for uh, England or the defensive team to get a fair chance then to get back in line to be ready to be prepared for a quick tap or cross kick or whatever happens next because the reason why they're in the huddle underneath the post is because you've actually asked the captain to speak to them so it's only right then that you do allow England to get a chance to get back so what he should have done, really, is sort of check with England, right, I'm going to put the time on now. So you've given them a warning to get ready. And then if they then linger and fail to get back to their positions then, then it'll be England's fault. But on this occasion, to be fair to them, they, they didn't know the time was going back on. So the right thing to, would have been to to allow them to do that, then put the time on, and then Bigger can, can put his cross kick in, which he may well not have done if England were back in the defensive line. We don't know. Nigel, one point I'd like you to address here is, I know Farrell made this point, he said the water carries on, and they were from both sides. You know, they were all on. And this is a bit of a bugbear with mine. You have water carriers drifting on and off, not getting off. I mean, if you'd had a situation where Wales has, for example, tapped the ball and driven for the line with, with English ball, you know, water carriers there, um, 
should there is there any protocol that says these people have got to be getting off the field, or or should they be got told, you know, either you 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 have to clear clear the pitch as soon as possible, because we you know we, we don't want it clogged up with 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 water carriers anyway. No, you're quite right, Brian, and there is a strict protocol and directive in place that water carriers are only allowed on the field when the referee um, puts the time time off. So obviously in this situation, he put the time off so we're quite entitled to, to be on. The only people allowed on the field otherwise, apart from the stoppage in play, is actually the medics themselves who may come on to treat the player or deal with an injury whilst the game is still going ahead. But that is only the medics itself. Water carriers should, should not be on the field and then that is the job of the four or five on the sideline to make sure that they only go on when the referee allows them and the interesting as you said if Wales would have sort of driven over and there's a ball carrier in the way then then the try would have would have still stood because he shouldn't have been on the field and because he was there he'd prevented a try even scoring so Wales may still have been awarded the try even if a ball carrier gets in the way but there is strict protocol in place and, and I agree with you you know they sometimes just they just run on sometimes they don't even care if time is off or, or not and that's something that's sort of the administrative side of things from the four or five on the side and match commissioner stuff they, they probably really do need to be stricter on that and make sure that they do adhere to to that protocol because as you said there were ball there were water carriers on from from both sides and um they should be leaving the field then before the referee puts the, the, the time on. Can I just can I just ask you uh, one final point on this? I understand I, I do know the protocol in terms of you're not allowed to come on, but who tells them to get off? How long do they have? Because you know, some some people come on, some people, as you can clearly tell, are passing messages from the coach. Some people who are, you know, like Neil Jenkins, who's a kicking coach, and he's a bit more specialist, and, and so on. So who says, hold on, get off now? You've had your time. And how, how, long, have, how long have they got? Well, the, the referee, so the, the, basically, the, the, the amount of time the water carriers will have on the field it is until the referee puts the time back on. So sometimes you'll have one water carrier just grabbing the last bottle of water from, from a player after a stoppage, and the referee put the time on. The water boy, the water carrier is actually the person grabbing the bottle, and then he grabs the bottle and he runs off, and, and time may well have started by then. But when you have a stoppage and you have quite a few of them on the field, then they should be leaving and then the referee puts the time on. But obviously, it doesn't happen like that always, because sometimes you will have one sort of grabbing the last bottle off a player before he leaves, and as he's doing that, the referee puts time on, but he's out of the way, and that's common sense. As he then continues to run off, then you can carry on. But the referee, the only the time they have on the field is until the referee starts the game. So if the referee is on stop dealing with substitutions, on stop speaking to a player, on stop for waiting for an injured player to be, to, to be treated on stop for the TMO, the water carriers will have as much time as the game is actually on stop. But then the referee will say, time on, which should be inclination then for the water carriers to leave. Or some referees will say, right, water off, please. I'm putting time on. Nigel, going on to second, uh, the Liam Williams try. Um, Louis Zamet obviously thought he'd knock the ball on. You have to say that the, like a lot of the rugby union laws, the wording is not absolutely precise. There is a, a degree of ambiguity. But um, the issue of control was one for me. Other people saying it, it doesn't matter. What was your take on that? 
Yeah, you have to understand this. This is a very sort of just difficult decision for the the, the match officials. I'm, I'm pretending to remember as well now that they are actually taking information given to them from from the TMO as well. Although they can see it on the big screen, sometimes if something is really really minute and you know you need to be sitting in front of HD screens and stuff, and so it's really down to actually see if somebody's hand has touched the ball, has it touched the line or not. So it is a very difficult situation, particularly in that pressure moment for the referees to, to make a decision. And we, we must not forget that. And I've been in that situation myself. But the law around actually a knock-on and losing control of the ball is pretty simple, to be honest, Brian. And, and, and it is. If a player loses control of the ball, so it either comes off his hands or maybe we see it quite often where a player is past the ball, he fails to catch that ball, it falls to the ground. But before it hits the ground, he kicks it on. Well, that still is a knock-on because the law says if a player loses control of the ball forward, he must regain possession of the ball, otherwise it is deemed to be a knock-on. So in this example we've just seen here is Louis Rizamit, his hand touches the ball. Him and the ball are now travelling forward. So there is no doubt that the ball is travelling forward. As he's travelling forward, the ball then goes down out of his hand. It hits the sort of side of his thigh, onto the back of his leg and backwards. And then I think it goes forward off an English player. So, Lewis Rizamit has never regained possession of a ball that came off his hand, i.e. he lost control of in a forward movement, Mm -hmm. which means then it is a knock-on. And this has actually happened in a Pro 14 game recently. A player goes to intercept the ball. He sticks his hand out underneath the ball. So the ball sort of pops up from his hand and forward. Because he fails then to gather the ball, what he does, he actually knocks the ball backwards over his head. And that still is a knock-on because the ball has gone forward initially. Even though he's then knocked it backwards before it's touched the ground or anybody else, he has failed to regard the possession of the ball. So pretty much all people need to judge on here in a difficult decision for the referees to make is, has the ball travelled forward from Rizamit's hands? And if it has, and he has never regained possession of it, then it is a knock-on. Well, that's very straightforward. Um, (laughs) It is. It is, actually, yeah. Look, what's the protocol now between the Six Nations and the referees and so on? Are they reviewed? What sort of conversations will they be having? Who will be talking through the, the, these things, trying to iron out the, the inconsistencies and so on? Well, Joel Jute is now the referees manager. He's gone back to take charge of World Rugby referees after Alan Roland finished last year. And Joel was in charge from 2011 to, to 2015, 2016 as well. So there will be a thorough review process now, an open and transparent one, where they will look at at these decisions and then feedback will be given to the referee then on what he did well, what he could do better, what was what was actually wrong. So that process will probably have already happened, I would think, pretty much immediate after the game. There would have been a discussion, I would have thought, around big decisions like this. So certainly the the the, the morning after and 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 that is that is the process then. It's a quite a you know a thorough, strict process really. So and um look, you know, players make mistakes, referees make make, make mistakes, and uh, it is part of, of, of the nature of the game. There will be a, a review process uh, of it, and then um, you know, that information and feedback will be given to the referee, and the referee will also be part of 
of that review process as well. And whether World Rugby then, um, on occasions, on, on big occasions, like we saw it in the um, England-Wales game in Twickenham a few years ago, uh, well, Gareth Anscombe's try was disallowed when World Rugby came out and said that the TMO had got the decision wrong, that that should have been uh, awarded. I think the actual feedback was given to the coaches of the team and the coaches of the teams that we've just been told by World Rugby that the referees got that wrong on, on that day. So, obviously, I would think that in this process that the feedback will go whether World Rugby, you know, make it public or whether they will go, they'll go to England and say, well, look, well, the referee was right here or the referee was wrong here in the same process with, with Wales as well. And what will happen is coaches will, so let's say Wales will have maybe a couple of points on that game where they think the referee penalised them harshly or they think they should have had a penalty from a situation and won't reward it. They will send that timeline to the referee manager and he will then review that with the referee and they will feed back to Wales and say no the referee was correct here or yes no you're quite right the referee should have rewarded you here so you know that feedback England will having feedback on those two decisions uh, without, without a shadow of a doubt You've retired now well, what, how do you watch? Do you watch as an ex-referee? Do you watch as a fan? And, and uh, what, what do you think of, of Wales' resurgence under Wayne Pivak? Yeah, I, I I do watch as a fan, Brian, but also I watch as a referee as well because obviously I'm still refereeing and when I do finish refereeing at the end of the season, I'm going to be coaching a couple of young referees so I'm still staying involved in, in the game. Um, I, I'm also working with, with SOC as well as, as a part of their punditry team. So obviously I'm watching it from a refereeing and giving a refereeing perspective uh, view or feedback as well. I'm not sort of hanging referees out to dry saying whether the referee got that wrong. I'll also be saying when everybody thinks the referee is wrong and he's right, I'll also be putting that point across as well. But one thing you can't do is you can't defend the indefendable or you're going to lose credibility then about the whole open process. So I do watch it as a fan and I do watch it as a, a bit uh, from, from your side as well as, as, as a bit of, bit of punditry, but not up to your experience and your skill, of course. But that's <laughs> what I, I, I do do that. But uh, And um, and yeah, look... <clears throat> I, we had a bit of luck, there's no doubt about that. You know, we, we played against Ireland with 14 men and, and I think, in all honesty, even the most ardent well supporter will admit we were pretty lucky on that day. I thought against Scotland, we were starting to control the game, particularly around the scrum set pieces and, and I would have been confident in beating Scotland even with the 15 men on the field. And, and I think on, on Saturday, yeah, a couple of decisions went our way. Also, England could well have had and maybe should have had a yellow card against them as well. But I, I do think overall particularly to the second half, Wales took the chances and were deservedly winners on the weekend. So I, I'm not surprised, uh, really, because Wayne, when Wayne came into the Scarlets, there were a lot of people calling for his head in the first season of the Scarlets when he was just finding out about the players that he got. And then the next few years after that, they won the, the Pro 12, Pro 14. They were very successful, played a lovely blend of rugby. He did the same thing in the autumn. He put a lot of new players in there. Uh, just remember as well, we were coming out of lockdown. There'd been a lot of stop-start, a lot of players that hadn't much rugby. You found out about a couple of players who were not quite ready for it. You find out for a couple like Rissamit who are ready for it. So I'm not surprised now that we you know we are progressing now and I've, I've won these three games and, you know, hopefully go to Rome and, and, and get a win, hopefully, but they'll have to play well because, you know, Italy have got some talented young young players and, and hopefully Italy will continue to improve and, and maybe that big one against against France then for the Grand Slam. So uh, I'm not surprised, to be honest, because they're a hugely talented group of players and coaches as well and I've been in with them pretty much um, 
nearly every week leading into Six Nations game, refereeing some contact sessions and going through a few things with them. And, you know, they look a very, very happy camp. They look a very confident camp and, and they, they look a very sort of um, hungry camp for, for success. Um, so um, no, I, I'm not surprised in, in, in that sense whatsoever, to be honest with you. Nigel, thank you very much for clearing these things up. It's great to speak to you. I'll let you get back My to pleasure, your... Brian. Let you your tractor. Be careful. Remember, agricultural machinery, very dangerous. <laughs> I will be... Topsy, France Scotland is off. It was postponed on Thursday uh, last week after an outbreak of COVID in the squad. Turns out, not only the men's senior squad, 15, the seven squad and the under-20s have got that. After blaming the Irish to start with, it now turns out that Fabien Galtier, at least, has been um, pinned and has admitted breaking the bubble, going out for waffles... Uh, I mean, it took. I mean, it took the French sports minister Roxana uh, Machineau to threaten to pull them out of the Six Nations for breaking the rules if they didn't do a proper investigation. Because Bernard Laporte had said everything was fine, uh, and tried to come up with an excuse. What do you What do you make of all this? What What should happen now? Oh, I mean, this is really messy. Um, even listening to what's come out this morning as well around, you know, Laporte basically threatening some of the players to stay in line and to not break ranks and to really tell what's happened. It's almost like the more you pull on the thread, the more we find out. And I mean, t- to be honest, I mean, obviously I want to see the game played. I think, you know, that's the fair result. You know, we keep a bit of integrity in the competition. But if it turns out that we can't, get this game played within a certain amount of time, a decent amount of time. You know, the season's condensed as it is. I've no issue with Scotland being awarded the points because France were the ones that really wanted strict protocols in place to allow the tournament to happen in the first place. And the manner in which they've broken ranks and then tried to conceal it and now things are coming out, as much as we can't blame this virus does whatever it wants... It was almost, it's their responsibility to keep their bubble intact. Well, 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 top, well top seat, the, the, when, they, when everyone agreed to these, these rules, I presume they, um, the basis of this was um, that everyone was going to do it in good faith. And they were there to say, well, look, if you, uh, anyone, everyone knows, you can be unfortunate. Something can be introduced from an outside source which you can't anticipate. But as long as you've done anything right, we're not going to penalise you for that because we know this happens. It was not for people to break ranks and then lie about things and try to recover things up. And that alone, to me, is enough for the rest of the nation's side. They should say, I'm sorry, it's your fault. Uh, We can't prove, actually, that these breach of bubble procedures caused the COVID outbreaks. But frankly, the way you've acted is not in good faith. And these, um, we're, we're entitled, I think, to change these. And we've got to remember, whenever it is played, it's quite likely that Scotland, well, maybe and France, actually, will, because of the club situation, will not have full teams. So when you're talking about the integrity of the competition, if you've got two second teams, or virtually that, that's not, that's not what you want either, because just because the, uh, the fixture's been played is not reflective of, of where it should have been played. But, you know, eight, 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 and the thing going forward is, I don't know where we're going to be in a, in a week's time and, and, and so on, because it's quite, you know, 
who knows whether the virus, whether the, the isolation periods, and the problem is if if something happens which is a complete accident, no one's going to believe them now, are they? <laughs> yeah, I mean they've they've created a massive mess for themselves, and like you say, you know that in good faith, you know it was trusted every team would do the right thing so that we could get this tournament, which is so important. You think the millions of people at home watching this, and we would have loved to have seen a proper conclusion, and now based on their behaviours, which have gone against everything that we wanted to agree upon it's now in jeopardy. So I'm, I think there's still some more stories to come out. I think the more, yes. we dig in, the more we dig into this as well, more lies, more stories. And I mean, the outcome, who knows? The, 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 yeah, but it comes down to this as well. And look, this is, yeah, all right, it is being anti-French, but with good reason. The fact is, why are they special? Everyone else is doing it right. Everyone else is playing by the rules. Why do they think they're not, you know, why do they think they're, they're allowed not to, you know, just just to, to do what they want. I, I, I find it well. It's typically French in a way. Um, anyway, let's move on. We've said enough about that. Um, in my view, yes, yeah, Scotland should be given the points. In my view, uh, Italy, Ireland, uh, routine win for Ireland. Um, they picked a very strong team. They've got uh, remaining games against Scotland and England. Um, it will be interesting because the English obviously. Uh, need to scrap now because they've got um, Ireland and France. But let's look at uh, Italy. Another, it's 30 defeats in a row, 139 points conceded in three games this year. Everyone says this. I'm sorry I'm going to have to give the same answer as I've given before, but let me give you, let me give you a chance to put your view on, on their inclusion or whatever. I think I know what you're going to say, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really tricky. I mean... They're not going to give up their place because, you know, they have rights and everything. And, you know, they see that as vital to not only the national team's development, but their club game as well. You know, I think someone said, you know, literally Italian rugby would disappear without the Six Nations. That being said, I think they're in a point now, a position now, where they really need to prove that they they deserve that spot. And whether it's by introduction, I'd, I'd like to see them play off against an aspiring, aspiring nation coming up. I think... That would work both ways. It would show that maybe there is still a gap between those two nations. It would make Italy prove that they are still kind of that sixth team that deserve to be in there. But even from their own point of view, I mean, I see what they're trying to do now with young players and trying to introduce a new way of thing. But those guys need to learn how to win games. They need that confidence to give them belief in what they're doing. And if they don't win a game, where are they going to get that from? So maybe taking on a Georgia over two legs, going home and away, will just give them a bit of a boost to go back into the Six Nations and say, right, OK, let's try a few things in here. At the moment, conceding 50 points every weekend, you learn a bit, but you don't learn a whole lot. You're just getting a hiding. And what good is that to anyone? So I'd love to see a playoff and to see Italy fight for their spot and say, you know what, OK, you guys, I understand people want changes, but we are still holding on to our spot and you've got more work to do to try and take it off us. Well said. Um, not going to unnecessarily add things. I think you're a perfect summary. Um, just before we get to the questions, a bit, bit of news. Simon Howard, the European Rugby Professional Chairman, well, they, they've announced that it's going to be coming out this week that the Champions and Challenge Cup, they've scrapped their final two rounds of, of group games and are going to move directly to round of 16, which will be done via a draw. Now, <laughs> that's, that's going to be problematic. Um, the, one of the difficulties, I mean, Simon was very unhappy, I know, about the fact that the French, first of all, 
um, refused to allow their sides to complete the complete their fixtures back in January. Um, and then you know you see what the international squad have been doing, breaking their own bubbles. He must be absolutely furious at the moment about that, and quite rightly so. Um, they can't drag this on for day. I, 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 isn't it a case, Topsy, where where they just have to say, look, this isn't our fault. It's their typical season. Sorry, they're going to be losers. Really sorry about this. We'll make it a. I think I think the important thing. What do you mean? Make it a complete potluck thing, so that you can see that that's what it is, rather than I mean any partiality in it. I think you know they they might avoid trouble if they do that, but nothing's going to be ideal. Um, and we do as a competition want this to go ahead, don't we? In whatever format and however imperfect it is. Yeah, I, I think that's it. You know, it's right. How do we salvage this wreckage uh, of a tournament as, as it is? You know, it got revamped just for this year because of COVID now having to be revamped again because the French didn't want to travel and didn't want the virus crossing borders. So, I mean, I, I feel for Simon Halliday and co in terms of just figuring out how, how they rescue it and even, you know, what they've come up with now, you know, okay, we're going to play it, but these teams, because they're two from two, a guaranteed home advantage and it's going to be drawn next week. I mean, it's literally you're jumping through one hurdle after the other. I mean, ultimately we want and we would love to see this tournament finished. You know, it's one of the best in the world. You get the best team in Europe going head to head. It's just, you hope this is the end of it now. And we can actually get through now, get to the last 16 quarters and go on without any other hiccups because, you know, at the moment it, it is a mess, you know, being dictated, you know, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. Ultimately, you're trying to appease five, six different nations, but we want to get this tournament completed. So, and of course, with no fans, with no other revenue coming in, that TV broadcaster money is crucial. So they have to figure out a way to do it, which is why we are where we are. Let's just hope that this is the end of it and we can get through it now. OK, on to your questions. Grant Feller, I'm a casual fan, but something Clive Woodward wrote today made me wonder about the key barrier to future growth of rugby. I think he means England rugby. Um, he said England need a referee embedded in the camp to explain the rules. If players don't know, fans, seriously or not, definitely won't. Well, players should know the laws. They should know them. I tell you what, if, you, if I was a lawyer, well, I was a lawyer, if I spent hours and hours, thousands of hours on a case and then went into court and didn't know what the court rules and laws were, well, I'd be, I'd be, dis- well, I'd be sacked. I'd be sued. It, it amazes me that players will go to the nth degree to look at minutiae like diet, uh, mood swings, things like this, and yet when they get onto the field, they do not know absolutely what the laws are. There's absolutely no excuse for me. And I, I'd like to ask you as a recently retired player, whether there was any appetite, because I've always said this, if every player in a squad got qualified as a referee, it's only a couple of, a couple of, you know, a couple of days, what message would that send out to the rest of the, 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 um, the, uh, the premiership or whatever, and the referees who are coming to referee them. Wouldn't it be a good thing? Well, it would definitely, it would take away any Twitter debate around laws and regulations. Could you say, no, I know the rules. I've read the handbook back to front. So you can't question any decision I've made or anything I've done. I mean, it's, the players should know the rules. I mean, I know there are some obscure ones in there, but you've got to be very clear about what you're doing when you get out there. 100%. 
I mean, in terms of the referees as well, I mean, it's interesting hearing Nigel saying he's been in the Wales camp. Teams do that a lot. Premiership clubs, international teams, maybe they need to have somebody in there full time. Maybe just at the moment, because of how the laws are being tweaked almost annually, maybe you do need somebody to come in there and scrutinise them. But ultimately, when you're on the pitch, you're the one responsible. So if you don't know your A to Z, you don't know the laws inside and out, you're going to be the one that's caught short, giving away the penalties, the indiscretions. So it's on you. You've got you've got to know what you're doing when you get out there. Because I tell you what, the way that people talk to referees, especially captains, I remember when uh, you know when you listen to McCaw and the, the really really good talkers, they just say, "Are you sure that's not law so and so?" And the referees are thinking, "Ooh, well, one he knows what the law is now. Is it that, therefore you're thinking?" He's not just saying, is that right? Oh, he can't do this. Or he's saying, oh, because that puts doubt into a player. And, and you're just chipping away. Uh, so, let, let, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they should know the laws. Um, and if they don't, they should be made to know them. And if that includes having a referee there, then fine. Cameron uh, Barkley. Eddie Jones has picked players that are consistently underperforming, continue to remain in the England team, despite there being better options in the Premiership. Which of these players... Do you think um, needs to be given game time? And they've given examples: the Simmons brothers, Smith, Devoto, etc., etc. You touched on this. Do you want to just give us two or three, three or four names um, that you would like to see given given the opportunities? I mean, Lawrence. I see a lot of Lawrence giving a proper go. That's one. That's one. Um, who 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 else do you think? Yeah, I mean, Ollie Lawrence definitely would love to see him back in and see him used properly, given the ball and let let him do what he was picked to do. Um, I'd love to see Watson have a run at 15 and Paolo Udogu brought in. I'd love to see either Simmons or Dombrant play as well because mm. Billy needs competition. He needs competition to fuel him, to get him back to his best, to really put the pressure on him. And at the moment, like I said, with the way the squad is, he's the only number eight, out-and-out out number eight. I mean, Ben L can cover there, but he's not an out-and-out out eight. So those are a couple of players as well. I feel for Joe Simmons as well in terms of, I think, his form over the last 18 months, what he's done for Exeter in any other squad would have put him in there, but with Ford and Farrell ahead of him was, was always going to be tricky. Stephen Jones is asking about the uh, controversy of the first two tries. He's saying, will that obscure the real issue, which was lack of composure and leadership once he got back to parity? No, if you're sensible, it doesn't uh, obscure it because everyone knows that, you know, when you've got back into... It was, I tell you what, for me, it was having done the hard work, having clawed yourself back from the disappointment, and it will have been crushing disappointment, because remember, these sides were going to be close, and you think, God, we've been given... A, we, 14 points has gone against us. You get yourself back into it. It was just the tame way in which three penalties successively, all kicking at goal, nine points, and then the try. The try was an add-on, and Wales deserved, you know, did, did, did a job on England because England were down at that point. But it was the three penalties in succession. And this is the point about penalties. If you give one, they give one. You give two, give they give one, and so on. Then you generally can cope. If you give three away in succession, even if they're not kickable, you are definitely going to be on the back foot because of the range of touch finders and so on. And they simply cannot afford to commit in this way. So let's do that one. Let's have a water carriers. Rob Allen, should water carriers just be that? You could give youngsters the opportunity to meet their heroes and feel involved. Medical staff only allowed to discuss treatment. No communication link. Management limited to influence at halftime or through use of the bench. Topsy, you know what goes on. Water carriers carry all sorts of messages, don't they? 
um, <laughs> not just water. Um, <coughs> so well, I think it's a good idea, actually, frankly. Uh, when you see Neil Jenkins coming on and talking to a kicker, I mean, he's the world's kicking coach, the water carrier, come on. I mean, he's not, look, he's not doing anything wrong. Uh, and Wales, uh, like other teams, like other teams are exploiting the, the, the loophole. I would just like to see it carried. In fact, the whole thing, to me, like Nigel Owens was saying, you know, when do they get off, when do they get on? What, what, what's your view on this? Do players need all these water breaks? <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I would say they, they do. They maybe don't need as many. And if we're thinking about how we speed up the game as well, we don't want all these stoppages. Um, like I say, team, team, teams are taking advantage. You know, if they're allowed to get on and the water carriers can bring messages on, look at tactics. You know, when you've got that high view from the coach's box, you can see so much more. And, you know, you, as commentators as well, you just, you've got a different perspective whereby if you see something happening, something's evolving in the game, you want to get those messages on and, that's the easiest way of doing it. I mean, I I like the idea of water carrier, right? Get on, give everyone a drink, get off. I just, I can't see it at the moment. I, I don't know how you, you would implement it and maybe trust a little kid, right? Get on, don't get too starstruck, come straight back off with the water and don't get too distracted. I mean, could you put a time limit on it? You could, but then it obviously it depends. You know, there's injuries and stuff and you can't say, you know, you've got a minute to treat this guy or he has to leave, you know, that's probably going to be the sticking point with a few of these things as well, because when they do come on, invariably is for an injury, time off, referees checking something, time off as well. Those are the only two times, really, they should be on the pitch. So, you know, it's hard to say in those moments, right, okay, there's a time limit on how long they're allowed to be on the pitch. Uh, Finally, Andrea Jones, what do you think of the abuse at the BBC Sports Reporter Sonia McLaughlin has experienced just in the reminder of the toxic, macho rugby environment. Andrew, let me just say a few things here. I mean, Sonia is a colleague of mine. She's a friend of mine. Um, I do happen to think she's very good at her job. It's not easy to pitch interviews afterwards, especially when you're aware that if you don't ask questions that people want answering, they will give you abuse anyway. The fact is this. No, it's, it's not acceptable to abuse people for doing the job. Whether you agree they've done it right or not, you can make comments that are short of abuse, that are civil, and register your, um, well, criticism or whatever. There's no, I mean, obviously, you will have found a bit of this. Now you started to put your head above the thing, and there's nothing you can do about it. But it's not, I don't think it's a macho, uh, I don't think it's a, a, a male rugby thing. I just think it's the incivility and, and, the, and, 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 and quite often, the product of social media allowing people to be anonymous um, and uh, make comments from the convenient and cowardly anonymity, which they wouldn't say to anyone's face. Yeah, and I think that last point is the big one. You know, that anonymity coupled up with you behave like you wouldn't do in normal life, like you wouldn't say that to a colleague, to a friend, to somebody you just met in the street that you didn't know. So why you feel social media is your platform to go after people, to abuse them. Criticism is fine. You know, we're out there in the public eye. Criticism is a part of what we do. But that doesn't give anybody the right to abuse people, you know, to to abuse them just for trying to to do their job as well. I mean, yeah, that is one of the toughest spots to interview in terms of lost a big international, but... You've got to go out there. You've got to ask the questions that everybody's thinking about and you've got to do it in 90 seconds. So, you know, you just, there's no excuse for the abuse that came Sonia's way. Like you said, she is brilliant. 
And, you know, I just say shame on anybody who thinks that that's acceptable the, behaviour. The, the, the only criticism I think that it, um, might be acceptable is like, if you don't get the answer or, or, or a player or a, a coach ref- sidesteps a question because they've been media trained and also they've got uh, protocols in the background for disrepute, I can't see the point in asking it several ways because you're not going to get the answer uh, and so on. And, and, and I think it's better... If people do evade, evade uh, questions, and not diplomatically, they just avoid questions like politicians do, then I think you should just make the point, um, well, I don't feel that's an answer to the question, but um, I think we'll have to move on because, you know, whatever. And you can make the point that way rather than continuing to ask it. But, and and, let, and let, let's, let's not get um, too sniffy about this. Quite a lot of the stick she gets is because she's female. It's as simple as that. Maggie Alfonsi has got that. I get criticism, you get criticism. I don't get it for being a man, though. Yeah, 100%, you're right as well. People have this, you know, they, they see a woman commentating on, on men's men's sport and they think, oh, you know, that's not right, she, she shouldn't be there. But you forget that the women that come into the men's game, they are there on merit. You know, Sonia's broadcasted for many, many years. Maggie's, her, her hip wrist, her, her reel is long as my arm and she's done everything and anything in the game. She is one of the top, athletes in this country so they're there on merit and you know i i hope as well you know it's tough when all that abuse is coming away and all those comments but i hope that they both know that the opinions of the people that really matter to them are of high the people that employ them their friends their colleagues their close circle those are the important views and you know people that want to shout from the sidelines whether it's jealousy or you think that's your moment to take your shot you've just got to stop it because we're not going to stop. They're there on merit and they're here to stay and that's the way it should be. And just a final point of it, she has got this problem and I know this you know, because people said to me, but it being the BBC and the way it's publicly funded, the licence fee funded, people feel, and they've got a very slight justification to say, I pay your wages. You know, well, one twenty-sixth of a million, you know, household viewers at 15%, you probably contribute... No point, no, 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 one pence to my, to my uh, bits that I get from this. So I'll tell you what, I'll give it you back and you can shut up. Uh, anyway, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Huge thank you to my co-hosts Topsy Ojo and Nigel Owens. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous ones? And to stay up date on all things sport, head to the telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact where you can get 30 days access to all the Telegraph's premium sports coverage completely free. I'll be back same time next Monday, same place. Uh, who knows where we will be with the French? Will they have gone out for certain je ne sais quoi? Who knows? Good night or goodbye. Goodbye.